0: Ah, oh, praise the Lord, guys! Thank you for coming. I know this is a momentous day, not only for the nation but in this state, California. Everywhere, she feels like our future's on the line, and we we really don't know how it's going to turn out or what to expect. We don't know whether um, God is inflaming the enemy to take the next step. In the demonic evolution of possession, you know, there's a, there's an interesting scripture at the uh, end of Revelation, very last chapter. And I sort of feel like we are living right in the middle of this. We are watching it unfold. It's verse 11, 22, 11. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. Now, when you look up still, it means the crystallization and development of character until you perfectly reflect the gods you worship. Now, that means there is growth through worship, commitment, there is growth into the image and likeness of Christ for the church. But there is also growth in the image and likeness of demons on the other side of the aisle. And those two grow together. And the one demands the fullness of the other. And it appears that the fullness of... Of the demons, the fullness of people in the demonic get there first. And it demands the fullness of God in the righteous. Now, I suppose if, if I were to apply this principle to this election, I'd come out of here thinking, well, we're going to lose one house. Because they have to come to the fullness of the demonic. On the other hand, if we keep both, that might speed them into fullness faster. I don't have the answer to that one. I don't know how God's going to develop this deal. In looking back over 44 years of ministry, I consistently have come to the book of Revelation... And said, I don't know. And I'm pretty sure we're not going to know until we get there. Now, that's really scary. Because all of a sudden, God is starting to tell stuff. And I feel like I know things that seem to indicate we are there. And that may be the scariest thing of all. Honestly. Because I don't know how that plays out from here. I don't know how it plays out in the interaction. Uh it it's pretty obvious that the church has to more and more adhere to Christ and more and more stand for who Christ is. Now on the other side of that, and you know that's the issue. I I spent my whole life enjoying the trying to figure out who the two witnesses were. Moses, Elijah, Enoch. Well, I don't know. It's gotta be two guys, gotta be two old prophets. And then all of a sudden, this black brother is about thirty years old, adhering to the same principle of study that you and I that has marked our life in the Lord. Let the Bible define the Bible. And all of a sudden, he finds the scriptures that define the two olive trees. He finds the scripture that define the candlestick in Revelation 1. of The seven churches of Revelation, that is God's candlestick is his church. So here you've got Jewish believers, according to Romans 11. They're one olive tree. And the Lord said, when I graft them back in, I'll make them their own olive tree. And here you and I are now who've been grafted into the original olive tree. So we're our own olive tree. So now it's really clear the two witnesses. Oh, my God, tag, you're it. I wasn't ready for that. I wasn't prepared for that. Yeah, I've adhered my whole life. Let the Bible define the Bible. And all of a sudden, when I run into the Bible defining the Bible, the Bible says the two witnesses are... Jewish believers who accepted Christ, completed Jews, and the Gentile believers. And because the Jews walked away three times in Scripture, I have given the birthright of the firstborn to the Gentile believers. And you hear this, your double, your possessing of the double will make the Jew jealous, and you're responsible for grafting the Jewish people in in the last day. You're going to do that because you're going to do what Moses did. And every Jewish kid learns it when they're eight, nine, seven, eight, nine years old. By the time they're 12, they got it. They know who Moses is. They know what birthed their nation. And all of a sudden, God says, Tag, you're it. What do you do with that? How do you readjust your theology? How, after spending a lifetime hoping and looking forward to a rapture, lay it aside and go, uh-oh, we need to get ready for the confrontation of our life. One I never fully prepared for. I thought I was trying to get ready for it, but not to the magnitude of what we're watching unfold. Oh, man. I'm t- I'll tell you, it, it is causing me to reread this book. Re examine my own walk, my own uh, way of interpreting things to take another look at Scripture. Because when you change one foundational issue, it impacts everything that's built on that foundational assumption. It changes it. Man. And we're there. We're there. And I mean, before I got that that message of, about Pala that I did on Sunday morning, two weeks before that, the Lord speaks to me when I'm going to cross Plains, Texas, and He says, on the airplane, which is I'm used to. Once I get seven miles high, God starts talking. He did. He said, "Go to Isaiah," and all of a sudden, you know, I'm reading, and I hit 44, and the Lord said, "You're in a transition." And so I'm trying to take this personally, and then I'm realizing, you're not just talking to me personally, you're talking to the church. The whole church is in a theological transition beyond anything we have ever known before. Because we hit a brick wall, bounced off, and now God is redefining who the witnesses are. And he's saying, hey, I'm making you one of them. And the Lord speaks this to me, and I don't know how to interpret it. And here's what he says to me out of Isaiah 44, 1 through 8. You're in a transition and your chief concern is your kids and your grandkids. Now how do you bring, how do you get them delivered from what they're in now into the full submission to the Holy Spirit? How do you pray them out of the place they are into the place they need to be to survive what's coming? And I agree. God, you're right. I don't know. Because I have three of them and they're in various degrees and they're not quite yet close to fullness to where they need to be to survive what's coming. And so the Lord says, "Okay, stop worrying about it right now. That's my issue, not yours. I command you pray this, pray these eight verses over them and I will get them where they need to go. I will take over. So God just pulls that concern off my plate. And he pulled it off my plate over one issue related to the shift. And, and in this passage, God says to every parent, every grandparent, I have good news for you. I am assuming the ownership, the direction, the growth, the development of your kids and your grandkids. They no longer belong to you. They belong to me. And I'm taking over. So however great a job you've done or however not so great a job you've done, relax. Put them in my hands. Because here's what here's what I'm going to do and here's why I'm going to do it. And it has nothing to do with your righteousness, unrighteousness, your success, your failure. It's beyond that. It's my plan that dominates from here on. And my plan needs your kids. And so I'm laying hold of them. I'm claiming they're mine from this point on. Turn them over to me. So, the sure word I have for you, right there. Turn your kids, your grandkids over to God. They're His. He is taking ownership for a specific purpose. And it's kingdom related. It's eternal, that purpose. And it's beyond you and I as mom and dad. So, you know, what does it feel like to have God say, get out of the way. They're mine. For my purpose. Well, on one hand, it's a relief. Because I've sure been bumping into brick walls for 40 years. Trying to do the best I know how. Uh, Maybe I'm starting to feel like... No. There's no way I'm starting to feel like my parents... Because when I got saved and filled with the Holy Spirit, there was a wind that blew through the church. I'm the youngest. I have two older sisters, all three of us, saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, launched into ministry. And all three of us are terrorizing mom and dad. All our life you said you knew God. I don't think so. You don't know the God I know. Who the heck are you to tell me I don't know God? I gave birth to you tell you who I am, somebody with revelation. I'm going to say it again. You don't know God. You know your culture. You know him a little bit. You know him enough to honor him on Sunday morning. Boy, it's real easy to get in trouble right there, boy. You march right up to that line. When do you honor your parents and when do you not honor? When are you honoring God and when are you honoring your parents? When are you speaking for God and when are you stepping over the line? You know the great thing about being a young prophet? You don't know where that line is. It's great. It's a wonderful experience. Everything ever ticked you off at your dad, you can get even and you got theology for it. It's a wonderful experience. Of course, going back and repenting later is not so wonderful, but that is the issue of yielding to the Holy Spirit. When you can go back and say, Dad, I apologize. I was a little too zealous and may have misjudged certain things. But I had a point. You better hear that. There was a point in what I was saying. Don't throw the point out because I'm not talking to you as a son. I'm talking to you as somebody called to be a prophet of the living God. That's a different ballgame. You're not used to that distinction. I'm your kid that always screws up, always does the wrong thing, he always trying to find his way back to what's right in your mind because that's the kid you've known. But I want to tell you something. There's somebody in here growing, and his name is Jesus, and there's a gifting and a call, and I had to lay down being an airline pilot and pick this up. Now, you better hear it. There's a seed in there, and I may have it and not have it all right, but some of it is, and what you better wrestle with is what part of it is. What happened? Seven years later, my dad answers an altar call that I give in Pasadena, California. He gets saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, and leaves talking in tongues. That's pretty good for a church of Christ. (laughs) That's an earthquake for a church of Christ, man. I'm telling you, that's getting over a mountain of theology when you come into that experience. I saw God honor the prayer, his word, hallelujah, church. i tell you what I'm feeling like. I feel like we're in that kind of a shift. I, 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 I can't get my fingers on the magnitude of it, but it's monumental. It's life-changing. Our whole eschatology has taken a shift. Revelation's starting to open up. Things are starting to make sense. We're starting to be able to draw parallels between some of the things we never understood in here before. We're starting to see a clearer path forward. And it's demanding something beyond what we've all brought to the table in past days. It's a little scary, it's a little exciting, it's a little awesome, there's a glory in it, there's an excitement in it, there is so much God in it that I am convinced what God is putting in our hands is the theology of the fearless church in the face of evil in the last days. And i got one more shot at finishing this thing out. Because it starts with our conscience. It starts by receiving these sonship gifts so that you and I have the same testimony, the Apostle Paul. Acts 23, verse 1 and 2. I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. The law can't say that. Phariseeism can't say that. The high priest couldn't say that. Strike him on the mouth. Nobody can say that. But i tell you, when you get a revelation of the blood of Christ, you can say that. That's who you are. That's what you are. That's where you live. Okay, you're living in a different place. All right. Look at Isaiah forty four. I'll tell you what tied it all together. Hear now, O Jacob, servant of Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus says the Lord who made you and formed you from your womb, who will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, and Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water on him as thirsty, floods on the dry ground. I'll pour my spirit on your descendants, and my blessing on your my blessing on your offspring. Now man, you can't weasel out a promo you can't buy a promotion like that. Like what God can do for your kids when he says, I will pour my blessing on your offspring. They will spring up among the grass like willows on the watercourse." One will say. Now, here he starts. This They are going to say this based on what I revealed to their heart. You will live to hear them agree with what I have given them by my spirit. What you could tell them ten years and would bounce off. But when I tell it to them, I can plant a harpoon that you can't get out. And when I plant it in them, they'll have it for life. You're going to hear them. You will live to see them declare what I have planted and accept it and declare their faith for it. That's what I'm promising you. I'm taking them off your hands. They're my responsibility from this day forward. One will say, verse 5, I'm the Lord's. Another will call himself the name of Jacob. Another will write with his hand, the Lord's, and name himself the name of Israel. Now, all those things come from personal interaction with God. They come from revelation between a man and his God. They come from wrestling between man and God. You don't get them any other way. They don't come any other way. They don't come because your dad tells you. They don't come because your mom tells you. They come because your God meets you in a place you didn't expect him. And that's the promise to your kids and grandkids. Our job? agree. All right, God, I'll do it. I'll pray this over my kids and grandkids, and I'll park them over in your hand. Now, from this point on, they're yours. They're yours to heal. They're yours to deliver. They're yours to set free. They're yours to get them thinking straight, acting straight, walking straight. They're yours. And the whole purpose why you said they are yours, verse 8, Do not fear, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from from this day, from that time, and declared it, You are my witnesses. What have we just been learning? Oh my God. We are wrestling with the fact that we are His witnesses. And now He says, turn your kids over to me. They are my witnesses. They're mine from here on out. I will be the dominant force in their life. You can guide, you can direct, you can confirm, you can bless, you can fund. But I will be the dominant force from here on out. Because what I'm saying to you is I need two generations of witnesses. Not one. I need two. So I'm taking you, your generation, and I'm taking your kids. And I'm taking responsibility for your kids. I will iron out the wrinkles. I will pull out the crooked places and I will make their path straight. It's off your plate. They're mine. Because I need two generations of witnesses. Moses brought them out. Joshua took them in. David fought the war, got the plans, got everything to build it, but he had to pass it to the next generation to complete the building. Jesus laid the foundation, the apostles build on it. Same thing is true in the end, two generations. Now hear that, two generations. So our part, give them up now. Pray this over them. God wants this off your plate. He does not want you worrying about your kids from this moment on. You're going to need coming into the witness God's calling you and I to give in our generation. This is going to be a full-time job for us. we got a big enough transition from where we've been theologically to where God's trying to take us. we got some changing to do. I mean, it's no small deal. I mean, I wish it was, but it isn't. It's serious. And not only that, in the middle of it, and we have no idea how this thing is going to come out, we've got an election going on that's going to determine our developmental course. My wife has been interceding and God's been talking to her. Oh, man. Psalm 35, 4 through 8. Good prayer for right now, for this night, for this election. May those who seek my life, the life of this nation, be disgraced and put to shame. May those who plot the ruin of this land to take it for themselves be turned back in dismay. May they be like chaff before the wind, with the angel of the Lord driving them away. May their path be dark and slippery, with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. Since they hid their net for me, for America, with evil and destruction and intent. God, without cause they did this. Without cause they dug a pit for us. May ruin overtake them by surprise. May the net they hid entangle them. May they fall into the pit to their own ruin, in Jesus' name. Now, God, do that tonight, in the name of the Lord. Execute that tonight, in the name of Jesus, across this nation. Oh man. Woo. I tell you, you, talk about serious stuff. This, this gets to be serious stuff. Lord, have mercy. All right. Go to number one, Malachi, uh, Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Ephesians chapter. One, praise you, Father. Lord, only you, only you can bring us into the fullness of this, and in Jesus' name, we believe that you are. So, Lord, we just thank you for that right now, because you have declared that we are, in Ephesians 1, we are chosen. We are holy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God, you took your very own nature and you imparted it to us so you could hang out in our temple and feel like you're at home. So we're holy, number two. We're without blame, number three. Number four, you've adopted us and you gave us a covenant of adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to yourself according to the good pleasure of your will. To the praise of the glory of your grace, by which you made us accepted, the double. Mary got one car, two. two, oh, you and I got two. Now, how in the world could we have a double acceptance when the mother of Christ only gets one and we get two? It's, it has to do with what we are facing that's coming our direction. Verse 7, in him we have redemption. That means he paid the penalty. He paid the fine. Through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. Now, if there's one thing you and I know, and we've been in church our whole life, we know forgiveness of sin, blood bought by the Holy Spirit, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in him, in whom also... We have obtained an inheritance. We have a blood-bought spiritual inheritance. And we're being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. That we who first trusted in Christ should be the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom you also believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance all right so number eight you got an inheritance number nine you've been sealed by the holy spirit and it's the job of the holy spirit to guide us into that inheritance look at somebody and say you have an inheritance man oh man a holy spirit inheritance what is that inheritance That inheritance, spiritually speaking, number one, eternal life. Forgiveness of sin, eternal life. All right, that's number one. Eternal life. You're going to live forever with Christ. You're going to live to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Been there twice. Got sent back. The church is not where it should be. They don't understand what it's going to take to get them up to the place where they're having to go. Go back. Now, that's why I'm back here. That's the whole reason. Why, I'm back here. Go back, tell them. Oh boy, oh great. They're going to love this. Shoot, I don't love it. Why would anybody else? Man, this is work. I mean, who in their right mind gets excited about an anointing that you get to walk in for a short period of time, and then they get to kill you? (laughs) Wonderful experience. You know, after 44 years, I finally, I think, got a clue to how you tell. One of the ways, just one. One of the ways you tell what's true doctrine and what's counterfeit. One, if you can sell it, it's probably not true. Because to be able to sell it where actually people want to pay for it, it probably can't have much cross in it. Oh, probably not. In order to sell it and make it popular, you got to take the cross out. Because nobody in their right mind wants to pay for the cross. <laughs> well, let's see, any cross in rapture? <laughs> Cheap way out. No death, no. Kind of fun to apply that, isn't it? Faith movement. When I first started, our faith movement was really popular. And then the Lord told me why it was popular. Abraham was the father of all that didn't believe. He didn't know any of that stuff. You're preaching. Oh, no crap. So that cost me seven years. I had to flush it, through it all away, and start over. But you know what? That's the best decision I ever made. Flushing. it. Sorry, God. I apologize. I didn't know. I was new in the block. It's the only thing that excited me. It gave some victory to the church. I, I was too young. I missed that part of it. And God said, all right, throw it away and start over. You know, that's the best decision I ever made. It's the first time I really bit into the cross and embraced it. Now, the first blessing of that, I had 350 people coming to the Bible study in Pasadena, California. TBN's leading star worshipers, Roger McDuff and some of the others in those days were calling me saying, "Can we come minister at your Bible study?" I was a new kid on the block. Super success. TBN was lighting up my phone, and God killed it all. <laughs> Abraham's father Paul didn't believe he didn't know any of that stuff you're preaching. Okay, God, I don't get it. What are you trying to tell me? Son, what's wrong with the faith doctrine? Nothing wrong with the faith doctrine, but you can't take the cross out of it. Put the cross back in it. Use your faith not to get the blessing of Scripture alone. Use the faith. Use your faith on yourself to obey God. Now that's what Abraham had to do. Get out of your country, get out of your kindred, get out of your culture. None of that was fun for him. He had walked in the face of everything he grew up with. He had to bite the cross, he had to embrace it, and he had to walk out. Guess what's getting ready to hit your kids? That's why he's taking them off your plate. God knows how. I know. I remember when he did it to me. I remember when he did it to my generation. <laughs> and if you have a heart to go with him, then you say, okay, God, I'm sorry. I didn't see it. I just didn't see it. And Lord said, I know you didn't see it. That's why I'm showing it to you. All right, come on. Make your adjustment and let's go. And it feels just like that right now. Make your adjustment and let's go. All right. We got some adjusting to do. Yeah, we do. We got some real adjusting to Well how do you when the Holy Spirit is the seal of your inheritance, what does that mean to you and I concerning the issue of adjusting? All right, first of all, let's identify the number one over all inheritance issue of scripture the pinnacle revelation of the church is in the book of ephesians all right in the book of ephesians is written so that you and I can experience three things Ephesians 1, he gave us nine sonship gifts so we could experience three things. Number one, so that we could know the hope of his calling. Develop the same relationship with dad, father, God, creator that Jesus had. That's verse 18, 118. The eyes of your Ephesians 1, 18. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know. What is the hope of his calling? And that's what Jesus prayed in John 17, 21 to 24. That they may be one as you and I are one. That they may be made perfect in one. Unity. That they may develop the same relationship, Jesus, that I had with you. Jesus prayed it and it's available. Number two. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? The glory. That is palah. God taught Moses pala la in Egypt. I'm doing this to show a difference between you and my people. Pala, la the verb, three times. No flies in Goshen. No hail in Goshen. No dead firstborn in Goshen. Moses, when he gets out of Egypt, God, I just realized something. You ruined my life. You made me know what it's like when you're in our presence, when there's no plague, there's no, when plague's everywhere, when devastation's everywhere, and we're in protection. I can't live if I can't have that relationship with you. I'm not going up one more step if you don't covenant with this nation to give that to us. God said, Moses, you got it. Moses, that's why I showed it to you. Because you had a heart to ask for it. Not for you. For your nation. And I want to give it to your nation. So I gave it to Guy, the heart for the nation. Mm-hmm. You know what's in this room right now? Some of the finest hearts in America formed in the fire. Mm-hmm. I've been coming out here thirty years. Mm-hmm. Most of you in here I know enough about your heritage and what you've been through that I know that's true and that's why God would honor you with the first fruit of revelation I never heard it anywhere didn't know it myself but when I got to this region that flight I've taken so many times for 30 years landing in that city trucking my way over here and all of a sudden there it is son look up oh my it's a verb Look it up again. It's the same word. It appears twice as verb and a noun. Look where it goes. It starts as verb, but it goes to a noun. It starts with an action that I give you, but it leads to the sum and substance of my action as a Savior, a Deliverer, and as your God. I offer you fullness. Now, you know what? This book of Ephesians, every single chapter of this book promises you the pinnacle promise, purpose for the church that you may experience the fullness of God. We got a guy, a couple of them. Moses is the first, Jesus is the second. They walked that out. And I'm telling you what, so did the early church. But man, God held most of it for the last days. And all of a sudden it's unfolding in front of us. What happens tonight is a major piece of how we walk forward with this deal. But you understand your number one inheritance is the fullness of Christ. You and I are watching fullness of evil, fullness of iniquity. We're watching people masquerade in righteousness, lie about what they stand for. My God, we got candidates. Oh, you know who started this? who actually started this strategy of running conservative candidates in a conservative district so they could lie to people and then go to D.C. and fully help form the demonic agenda, the Antichrist agenda. Nancy Pelosi and Rahm Emanuel, 20 years ago. This was a strategy they formed after Newt Gingrich's contract with America. This is what brought their party back. And it's the same lying crap that they did this year. Same deal. You know what they didn't count on? Jesus in you. They can't see the Jesus in you. They try to blame any loss on everything else. Oh my god. Every chapter of this book that you, the fullness of his inheritance right here, that's number two. The riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. What is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. And look, look at verse 23. How does God define the church? Which is his body, the fullness of him. Now let the Bible define the Bible. What do you look like to God? The fullness of Je- you look like Jesus in the Gospels and Jesus in the Revelation. Well, God knows we see enough of Jesus in the Gospels. Where's the Jesus of Revelation? We've grown into that, and God is saying, I "Tell you when it starts. It starts with recognizing you are called." To be one of the witnesses who executes the plagues of the last days. It's going to come out of your mouth. It's going to come out of your confrontation. It's going to come out of your prayer. Oh, yeah. It's coming out of you. Chapter 2. Every chapter has fullness in it. Look at 2, 19 through 22. Ephesians two nineteen to 22 Now therefore you are no longer strangers, foreigners, fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God, having been built in the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a habitation of God in the Spirit. When you look at the church, you need to see the fullness of God's manifestation in the Spirit. That's resurrecting them, and that's making them dead both sides. It's healing the sick and passing out affliction. It's healing blindness and prophesying blindness. You will not be able to see the sun for a season. Oh, yeah. Come on, church. Look at chapter 3, verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might. Through His Spirit and the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what's the width, length, depth, height, and know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Filled. Pleroho. With all the pleroma. Guess what pattern that verse follows? <laughs> Exodus thirty-three thirty-four. Verb, noun. You start with an experience in the verb, and you grow to the experience of the whole nine yards. All of them. All of them. Look at chapter 4, verse 12. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith, knowledge of the Son of God, to a os, mature men, to the measure of the stature of the pleroma, fullness, that's the noun, all of who God is. There it is again. Four straight chapters. Fullness, fullness, fullness. You have an inheritance. What's your inheritance? Jesus and in the Gospels. Jesus in Revelation, every time you see Jesus break out anywhere in the New Testament, you got a shot at it. That's a part of what's available to you. Everywhere. Every place he breaks out. It's in chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore be, men may taste, followers of, mimitate God, act like God, think like God, talk like God. And finally in chapter 6. Put on the whole armor of God so you look like him. Look like him, act like him, talk like him, and walk into fullness. Every single chapter is about fullness. Look at somebody and say, number eight, new beginnings, you've got an inheritance. And that's the fullness of Christ. But wait a minute. That's number eight. What's the number nine? Ephesians 1. What's the number nine? Seal. Seal. God sealed us. What did he seal us with? The Holy Spirit of promise. Why did He seal us with the Holy... The seal with... The, <laughs> we don't have to speculate on that. He tells us. Because you go from verse 8, which He... Uh, Ephesians 1, verse 8, "...which He made abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having been known to us the mystery of His will, according to the good pleasure which He purposed in Himself." That in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, which are in heaven and which are on earth in him, in whom also we have obtained. As we approach fullness, our inheritance starts to break out in full measure. It starts to be accessible by you and I, by faith. In him also we obtained an, an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we have first trusted in Christ, Should be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In Him you also believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance? Why did God give us the Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit has an assignment. And that assignment is to run you into your inheritance. That is the sum and subtle substance of the Holy Spirit's assignment in you and I. Run us into His inheritance. How does he do that? Romans 8. Acts 2. We pick up a prayer language. We get baptized in the Holy Spirit. We pick up a prayer language if you have the faith to use it. I mean, you can be baptized in the Holy Spirit and and not know that's available. Believe me. I mean, half my family is Nazarene. I'm the only tongue-talking guy in Kingston, Missouri. All right? 1975. I get saved. I get baptized in the Holy Spirit. I get my prayer language. God, I grew up in this town, and it's a very religious community. My uncle is probably the leading elder in the largest church in the whole city, and he is convinced that I'm a budding, growing demoniac. (laughs) Because I talk in tongues. So my uncle, who I've learned to respect all these years, now just looks at me and goes, "Mm, he won't give me the time of day. So I said, God, I love my uncle, but I know he's wrong. He just doesn't know. He's bound. I understand. Shoot. Everybody lives in tradition for a while until you break us all out. We all live in it. So I said, I'm not willing to leave her. You call me to minister, but I will not go unless you give me somebody who talks in tongues in this town. Before I leave, I get up to the night before I'm supposed to go. Crap. My, I said, God, you know how to cut this deal close. My cousin, whose husband becomes an assembly pastor. He's not one yet. Because he's not baptized in the Holy Spirit. And not saved, yet, invites me as a goodbye dinner, they hear I'm going off to seminary in California. Anybody who does that's half crazy. <laughs> you know, seminary's bad enough, but California's worse, so <laughs> take your choice. It's a downhill slide either way you go. Oh my God. So I'm out there ministering, witnessing to them, and all of a sudden, guess what happened? Here comes the Holy Ghost. <clears throat> And there's an explosion, and they start praying in tongues. <laughs> I'm ready to leave the next day. And so there it is. God says, see, I'm in this. There they are. He becomes an assembly pastor. He starts his own church. And I mean, they, you know, she's pastor and his wife right there, called into ministry in the next six months. And man, I'm off and running. And still terrorizing my parents. I saw God move at that prayer. Hallelujah. The Holy Spirit. See, this is the, here, here is the amazing importance of tongues in our life. 1 Corinthians 14, 1 through 4. It tells us what happens when we pray in the Spirit. And it, now, when you accept what you find in Ephesians 1, the Holy Spirit has one primary job. Get us into fullness. Okay? Now how does He do that? Well, that prayer language, you know, that nobody likes to do because your mind is unfruitful and you don't understand what you're doing. And it feels like it's a complete waste of time. And so there's all this warfare against using your prayer language. But in 1 Corinthians 14, it tells us the two things that happen when we pray in the Spirit. And that is uh, 1 through 4. Pursue love, desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy, for he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. no one understands him, however, in the spirit he speaks Mus-de-re-on. mysteries, but he who prophesies speaks edification, expectation, and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edify o code om ay, oh. now oikodomeo code om ay, oh is a construction term, and it means you build your house. you build You construct spiritual house with spiritual rooms. You construct a spiritual house. And that spiritual house, God fills your spiritual house with the revelation you need for what you're called to do. And then he brings the ability to do what you're called to do. And that comes when you pray in the spirit. So praying in the Spirit guarantees the revelation you need to get where you need to go, that God will bring it, He will unfold it, and He will gently guide you there. Now, how do you know that? Because oikod A O appears in Matthew chapter 7. I mean, it's also in Jude verse 20. You, beloved. Building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. How do you build yourself up? You pray in the Holy Spirit. But in Matthew chapter 7, and especially when you go over to verse 24, now we're into the house construction, but we're in the house construction that's spiritual. We're talking about building your spiritual life. And how do you build it on a rock and not build it on the sand? Verse 24, Therefore, whoever hears these things of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who, Oikot, Ome, o built his house on the rock, and the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. So here I am praying in the Spirit. Abraham was the father of all that believe. He didn't know any of that stuff you're preaching. Oh, great. Nice interpretation. Now what? Flush seven years of ministry. Start all over. You kidding me? But what's a fruit, a house that can handle the revelation of God, a person that God can trust? Because I was willing to hit the flush button and start over, was willing to obey when there was a price. Somebody who said yes to the cross when it came knocking at the door. Not once or twice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm church the holy spirit is our seal of our inheritance and as we pray in the spirit we're praying out stuff we don't even know yet but it empowers us toward his fullness in the season we're called to it if we're willing to turn off a football game or to turn off something we want to do and consistently as we're led. And God did not ask you, you know, just to never have anything you enjoy. If you enjoy football, bless God, you ought to get to watch a game a week. Nobody's trying to take away football. But when the Lord comes and says, I need you to pray in the Spirit, man, you better flush what you're doing and pray in the Spirit right then. That's the issue. Are you available? Will you yield when the Holy Spirit knocks on your door? Now, if you'll just embrace that, the promise is, Holy Spirit, get you to fullness. No demon can keep you out of the fullness of your call in Jesus' name. You're headed for it. I'm telling you, this is a season where we need some serious praying in the Holy Spirit because, man, it's unfolding fast, and it's breaking all over the place. I know, because, I mean, Larry and I have been sparking each other back and forth. God's been talking. I mean, I've, my head's spinning at what he's showing in the book of Revelation. My head is spinning. You know, you know what changes? That, what Here's how one revel, I'm finished with this. One revelation changes everything you knew from the past. Okay? So when the Lord said... Go to Exodus 33, look at this. Pa-la, the verb, becomes Pa-la, the noun, a covenant. That changes everything. Why? Because it now, it's covenant. It's covenantally promised. The anointing that Manifest the judgment of God that Moses executed is now covenantally available to you and I. That means it's accessible by faith. That means God's waiting on me to change my attitude toward it and to bring it forth as I see it's needed on what I'm facing it puts the ball in my court. It makes it available to me judicially. So if I'm a king and a priest, that's what God offered Moses, the whole nation of Israel. They ran from it. So he came back at it through you and I, through Christ. So if you and I are kings and priests, that judicial anointing is now available by covenant. That means it's an issue of faith. That means I have to build here. That means I'm not waiting on God. God's waiting on me. Shift. It's available by covenant. Changes everything. What are we going to do? We're going to say Yes. We have to change. We have to go after what God has put on our plate. So whatever happens tonight, if we wake up with a wave or if we wake up with a split house and the enemy completely overplays their hand, then to save this nation, we got to see the judgment of God arise on the church. Because now... God's saying, all right, what are you going to do? you going to live with it? you going to change it? you going to bless what's evil and enable it? Or are you going to judge it and call forth the judgment of God? Well, I don't feel worthy to judge. Well, that's what you get for thinking and not reading your Bible. That's, right. <laughs> that's pretty simplistic, huh? But that's the truth. Come on. If you're going to judge angels, you're going to tell me you're incapable of telling whether you need Ted or Beto. Beat up. Whatever. Give me a break. You know what's godly and you know what's demonic. Somebody has to bring the hand of God on it. The prophets did it. Samuel did it. Samuel wouldn't tolerate the Philistines stealing everything the Israelites had. He brought the hand of God against the Philistines his whole life. Forty years of bringing judgment on the Philistines. Elijah. Judgment on the prophets of Baal. Kill them all. We got that in America? Yeah, we do. We do. We got more. We got Planned Parenthood. They got so much blood on their hands. Come on, church. The Holy Spirit guarantees our inheritance. Now, what that means is he's got the path. He knows the path toward the inheritance. And as you and I pray in the Spirit, that's what unfolds. That is the direction toward the fulfillment of that path. And it's he has guaranteed the Father, Father, I will get him there. I'm going to come hang out in their temple, and I'm going to get him to fullness. That's the Holy Spirit's promise to the Father. I will get you to fullness. That's God's promise to us concerning our kids. I will get your kids to fullness. Hallelujah. Father, we lift our hands and we say we love you. We love you with all of our heart, all of our might, and all of our being. Now, Lord, in Jesus' name, we are all going to go home and and watch what unfolds. Now, Father, in the name of Jesus, by your Spirit, prepare us for tomorrow and the day after. And, Father, in Jesus' name, let your church stand up in the fullness of your spirit, in the fullness of your power. Let the fear of God be once again birthed in this nation. And, Father, let a vibrant, spotless, without wrinkle church rise up and walk in your fullness and win this nation back to you. Lord, in Jesus' name, we release it. We call it forth. We say... Fullness of the Holy Spirit rest on this people in Jesus' name and bring us into the fullness of our gifting and calling. We give our kids to you. We surrender them to you. We say, they are your witnesses as are we. So, Father, give us our generational responsibility. Give us fullness for our generation and march us into victory of saving and turning this nation back to you. We thank you for it. We rejoice in it. We expect it and we release it tonight, Father. We count it done in Jesus' name. And everyone agreed by saying, Amen. 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 I want you to find three people, give them a hug or a handshake and say, God has allotted me a harvest and I will not stop till I see it. I will see the harvest that's appointed for my generation. Three people, give them a hug and tell them that. I will see it, and so will you. In Jesus' name. Thanks, guys. It's been an awesome time. Bless you big.